Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey guys, today on the show, we've got Anthony Vecino with us. He's a great interview, high energy guy, built a company called Invictus Multifamily. They're vertically integrated, meaning that they own the management company um, and that he talks a lot about building that what type of assets they're going after. Um, we talk a lot about big multifamily on this podcast, but Anthony and his team go after stuff that's like sub 60 units. So they've got kind of a niche built in their marketplace. So he shares a lot of uh, hard-won wisdom on how they've built a company around those smaller assets in one market. Tons of great information for the uh, active investor and then great information for the passive investor too. So I think you guys are going to enjoy the show. Before we dive into the interview with Anthony, if you want to be on the DJE investor list and you're not already in our portal and seeing those deal updates, go ahead and set up a call with our team. You can go to djetexas.com. There's a spot there to schedule a call with our team. We'll just do a, a quick call. We could share case studies with you, all that good stuff and get you access so you can see upcoming projects. Secondly, if you are wanting to be an active operator and you want to go out and do your own deals and you want to join an ecosystem with coaching and tools and a whole platform to fast forward you. Uh, we talk about mentorship all the time. We've built a mentorship program for uh, certain types of folks that want to accelerate their, um, their business as operators in the multifamily business. If you're interested in that, you can go to apartmenteducators.com. We've got a great um, eight-part video series there that you can check out. Tons of education information to get you plugged in. All right. Let's jump into the episode with Anthony. Here we go. Anthony, welcome. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for jumping on today. And I, I appreciate you making some time to talk about uh, real estate investing like we do here on the, on the podcast. Um, we're chit-chatting a little bit before we jumped on about kind of what's going on with the current market and stuff like that. But Let's start with your background. You know, what, what, where'd you grow up? Where are you? Where, where are you based out of? And how'd you get into this uh, crazy real estate game? Yeah, this is a crazy real estate game, isn't it? it so is. for me, um, you know, first, I'm, I'm just really thankful to be here. Thanks for taking the, some time to chat about real estate. I think a lot of people who are probably listening to this, they're like excited about real estate investing, but maybe they don't have a lot of people in their life that they can talk about it with. And sure. so like, it's always, it's always good to geek out with other uh, like-minded individuals. So for me, my dad was military, so we didn't call any place home. We traveled a lot. Um, right now I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This is home base for Invictus Capital. We're a vertically integrated firm. And what we do is we go and buy apartment buildings. We operate them and we have a lot of fun doing it. Sometimes we work with passive investors. Sometimes we just use our own money. Sometimes we do joint ventures. And I mean, to answer the question of like, how did I get into this crazy real estate game? You have to go way back into the time machine because the universe tried to put real estate in front of me at a couple of different points. And I kept ignoring it. I kept telling the universe, go away. I don't, I don't care about this. Um, the first time was in college. My roommate and his dad were fixing and flipping houses and I helped them in exchange for cheap rent. And the only thing I learned coming out of that was that I hate construction. Like I can swing the hammer. I can't hit a nail. I don't want to, I don't want to, fix and flip homes. I can't do it. And so I walked away from that experience being like, real estate's maybe not for me, no interest in it. Cause that was my only exposure. And I think for a lot of people listening to this are probably like, 
that's what they see when they watch HGTV is Chip and Diana or Chip and Joanna, you know, fixing and flipping houses. And I was like, nah, it's not for me. So I went off and I did my own thing. I have severe ADHD. And so like, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't going to cut it in the corporate world, which kind of forced me into the entrepreneurial track, even though I, I'm not really, I don't have an entrepreneurial bone. Like when I was a kid, I wasn't ripping up daisies and selling them to the, the neighbors. I wasn't doing that. So I was forced into it out of necessity. And the second time the universe put real estate in front of me, I was actually living with a guy who owned the house that we were in and he was renting out on the rooms to all these different people. And me and my friends, none of us could figure out how he was doing it. We're like, is this guy a drug dealer? How can he afford this? Like, this doesn't make any sense to us. Like we had no context. And all we knew was like, real estate's big and scary and expensive and hard. How is this guy doing it? He must be a drug dealer. That's where our minds went. And it wasn't until maybe five years later, for whatever reason, Universe took a, a third swing at the bat, and I was driving into downtown Minneapolis and was hit with the question, okay, wait a minute, who owns all these buildings? Like, I always assumed it was rich people or organizations or institutions, things like of that nature. And that's true to a large extent, but as I dug into it, I started to discover guys like my buddy, who I thought was a drug dealer, like they own these buildings and they, it wasn't super hard. It wasn't super complicated. And that was super fascinating to me. So that's, that's what really launched my real estate career. So I went into an FHA, did a triplex house hack that bad boy, and then scaled to the moon from there. Awesome. So house hacking, you get the mortgage and then you get some revenue by renting out the other pieces of it, right? Whether they're rooms or the other side of the house. Exactly. It, it is such a simple, powerful strategy. This is what my buddy was doing. He just, we just never asked him about it. We never got the details. If he had explained it, we would have been like, really, it can't be that simple. And that's the thing that like blows people's minds. And like, it's the whole impetus for the, our podcast, which is multifamily investing made simple in the book, passive investing made simple. Like it's really not rocket science. It's not easy, like, but it is very, very simple. And at the end of the day, like when you're first met with how simple it is, you're like, it can't be that, that simple. It has to be harder. Right. But it's really not. Yeah. Rents come in, pay the mortgage, pay some bills, got some cash flow left over on you go. Right. I mean, yep. Rents and repeat kind of the game that first flip that you had an opportunity to do some real work on some labor. Uh, did you see the numbers? Did you see what, you know, their pro forma, what it, what it looked like it was going to, you know, what they were going to make. No. And I remember at the time, like I had no, I just had no interest in, in learning that stuff. All I was like really paying attention to was like, okay, well we bought this house and now, now it's a turd. Now we've gutted it. Now we're living in the dirt and the, the beams are all exposed and we're building it back up. And it all felt really expensive and crazy at the time. Looking back on it now, I can probably back into pretty easily what kind of ARV and numbers that they were operating under. And the crazy thing is it was, it was very lucrative. Like even at that point, like we're in college and my roommate wasn't like this brilliant guy, but just had a knack for construction. So he leveraged that ability. He loved doing these projects around the house, which is a thing. Like if you're a person who likes working with their hands and likes repairing things like fix and flips can be a really great way to go. But for me, all I walked away with was like, man, that's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. There's no, there's no doubt. It can be a good way to get started, can be, make some money. It's a good way for one guy to get started and make money that he needs to maybe leave a job or get into multifamily investing. 
It's definitely work though. There's no, there's no question yeah. about it. So and if you're, if you're going to stay in that route long-term, you really want to systematize it, build out teams around it. And you can be effective that way. Cause you don't want to be the guy that's swinging the hammer indefinitely. Yeah. That's there's, there's no way to scale that. You got to be a business. Mm-hmm. So you did the triplex. You said you got an FHA loan for that, right? Really low down payment, good interest rate, all that stuff. Yep. Barely put any money into it. I think I got into it for about $7,000, bought it for 246,000. And the crazy, the crazy thing was I just bought it at the right time in the right place. Nine months later, I went back to refinance it to get out of that FHA because at that point, like the FHA, the PMI that sticks with you forever. And so the only way to get out was to refinance and went to refinance and it appraised for 125,000 more than what I bought it for. And I was like, I was like, wait, what? I was like, on the one hand, that's really cool, right? Like when you walk into the bank and they're like, that's worth 375,000. You're like, wait, I paid 250 for that like nine months ago. What are you talking about? Felt like something was wrong there. And right. it, it didn't sit well with me because at the end of the day, it wasn't based on me being like some genius operator that like went in and added all this value. It was just that I was riding a wave of organic appreciation. And it wasn't rewarding me for merit. It wasn't based off of me doing good work. And so that was the moment where I was like, okay, real estate's cool, but I need to go bigger where I have more control, where the, the results are linked to my efforts. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's nice to be lucky. Uh, that's yep. great. You know, that can, that can go both ways, but uh, being lucky is good, especially if it allows you to, to get a start. And uh, you know, I just, I just looked at, was looking at some personal financial stuff. I've about 12 single families that I've had forever. And I hadn't like looked at the values in the last, I don't know, two years. And I was like, holy smokes. And there's just little rentals just chugging along. So appreciation happens. Equity happens. That's, that's a fact. Um, But I get it. You want to have more control. You want to be able to do it consistently. What was the uh, next step for you after that triplex seeing some success? Um, what, what was, what, what kind of projects did you get into after that? Yeah. So from there, we started rolling into the larger commercial. And when I say large, I'm not, I'm not talking like hundred and 200 unit complexes. I'm talking like 15 to 60 units. And that's really our sweet spot. Nice. A lot of, a lot of new syndicators, a lot of new operators, they want to come in and they're like, I got to get 200 plus units. I got to go big. And it's like, okay, well that's, that's hard. It's competitive. It's expensive. And you don't have any operational capacity yet. And so good luck. Um, for us, we really like that 15 to 60 range because it's right in the sweet spot between two types of investors. One being like the small investors who can't quite conceptualize or don't have the operational uh, skills yet to take down a 15 unit. They feel like that's too much. And then on the flip side, a 60 units just on the bottom side of what a lot of institutional investors will even sniff at. Right. And so we kind of find ourselves in this happy little spot And our trick then is to group these assets geographically because around the Twin Cities, this is where we invest. It's it's an old market. We don't have a ton of really big communities, uh, apartment communities. We have a lot of little buildings, little brownstones that have been around for a hundred years and they're built like tanks and they're going to keep going. And so we group these assets together so our property management team can realize the efficiencies of scale without those buildings all actually being linked together in one purchase. I love it. Yeah. And I think there's a real opportunity there as you guys have exploited in those, what I you say smaller. I mean, look to the guy that has one single family rental, 40 unit is like unfathomable. So yeah, uh, to the guy that's got a thousand doors, 40 units, not something you want to mess with. You don't want to mess with it. So there's, there's a, it's all relative, but um, 
it is a sweet spot, you know, and it's, it's, I imagine you guys probably deal directly with, with owners a lot of times, you know, principal to principal transaction. Is that the case or a lot of these going through brokers? Well, here's the really interesting thing. And I'm sure it's the same in pretty much every market across the U S is that the majority of inventory seems to congregate in the hands of like very few number of players. And a lot of the players are very old at this point. They've been in the game for 20, 30 years. And so our strategy has been, well, let's go find those old dudes and gals. Let's go be their best friends and cozy up to them because when it's time for them to sell, we want to be the first person that they call in the last five deals that we've done have all been a result of people who've been in the business for over 30 years calling us up and saying, hey, we want to sell to you because we heard that you guys are good. You do what you say. You're not going to renegotiate. You're not going to retrade on us. You're going to follow through. You're going to get the deal closed. You're not going to cause headache because for these old guys, they've had these things forever. They practically have no debt on them. They're cash flowing like crazy. They don't need to sell. They just want to sell and they want it to be easy. And so that's where we come in to solve a pain point for them is, hey, we want these properties at a good basis and we're going to be easy to work with. And we're going to be the guys that you can count on to do what we say. I love it. There's a secret folks. The secret is out. Do what you say and be easy to work with. <laughs> you know, it's funny. It's like, I don't know why maybe it's from movies growing up or whatever. We all have this like uh, idea of negotiating is like just, you know, being difficult to work with and fighting for every penny and so no. forth. There's just some of that out there, but I've kind of taken the opposite approach. Let me be the easy guy that closes and let the people that know, cause that is weird. It does congregate. The deals do congregate in the hands of a very few people in any market and they kind of control the deal flow. And it's not that they're necessarily a gatekeeper. They just have all the relationships. They know all the deals they're entrenched and that's how it goes. And so you're the, you're the guy that can deliver and close and be easy and do what they say. Uh, that's going to lead to more deals, right? And reputation is everything in this game. It takes years to build, takes seconds to destroy. And these old guys and gals, like they talk, they all know each other. If you do somebody dirty on this deal, like you're done. You're no, nobody else is going to return your call. And so you only get one shot and you got to keep making that shot consistently and showing up as that person. Like our core values in Invictus, like two of those, two of the five is one is we show up. And number two is we do what we say every day. Like we show up and we do what we say. You do those two things and you're going to be pretty well in life. You're going to do good. I love it. So simple, but uh, easily overlooked because of its simplicity. So you say yep. we, and you talk about Invictus, your company, um, who's, who is it besides you and what's the structure look like today? So Invictus at the highest level is me and my partner, Dan Kruger. We formed the, the company a couple of years back. At this point, we have about nine full-time employees uh, across the gamut of leasing agents, manage, uh, maintenance agents, uh, graphic designers, ma uh, marketing, things like that. So uh, it, it is a team effort. The thing with real estate, and this is something that my partner, Dan, likes to talk about all the time, is that in his early days, he had a I'm a mentality. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to own the whole thing. He wanted to be the guy that everybody looked at and was like, uh, he's the guy. And so he didn't like partners. He didn't like outsourcing. He had a real control issue. Yep. And once, you know, once he got over that and realized real estate's a we game, not a me game, like relationships dictate how far and fast you can go. That's when things really started changing for him. So like, if you're listening to this at home and you're like thinking about becoming an, an active investor, partnerships, whether formalized or through relationships. And so something you said before, Devin, like I still never feel like I've actually entered into a negotiation as I've imagined it in my head. When you read books on negotiation, they make it sound like this thing that you're like, you're at this table and it's like this intense thing. And it's really not. 
Like I've been in a lot of conversations with sellers, but it never really feels like a negotiation in a lot of cases. It's just like trying to figure out like how we're going to make this thing work. It's a lot like, you know, talking to your significant other and being like, where do you want to have dinner tonight? It's, it's, yeah, it's a conversation. It's not a negotiation usually. Yeah, that's right. It's not, uh, it's not shoot out, you know, a, a duel, you know, yeah. it's kind of like, Hey, we're trying to solve problems for everybody. And, uh, come up with some solutions here. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. And there's a lot of conversations. I mean, getting a deal done, any size deal, a lot of back and forth. That's the game. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you still have to eat together. So like, you don't want to, you don't want to nuke the relationship in the negotiation phase. If you really want, you know, Olive Garden and she wants Sizzler. So yeah, you still got to eat dinner together. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys built the management company from the get-go or were you using some third party to start? How'd you, how'd you approach that? Cause that's an interesting, you talk about, operational capability. Right. Um, and that's an interesting piece to scale. How did you guys treat that? Yeah. So we started from the very beginning with, with building that, and there's only ever two times to build a property management company. And there's only one of two times to hire somebody. It's either too late or too early. Those are your choices. You either do it too soon or too late. And for us, the operational costs or the, the opportunity cost of waiting to implement it later was greater than we were willing to pay. So we took on the struggle from the early days of hiring and bringing in full-time employees before the numbers could really justify it on their own. Knowing that we're not building the company for where we are, we're building for where we're going to be in one to two years. And quickly we realized that by bringing those people in, you scale much faster than you would have been able to predict otherwise. And so now we're ahead of schedule and now we're actually behind and we're trying to hire more people. So we actually have like three new people starting next week. And it's like, okay, so too soon or too late. Those are really the only times. But for us, I, I have a manufacturing business that I, I, I built a couple of years back. And one of our core theses that we took from that business into real estate was that whoever's closest to the consumer wins at the end of the day. And for us, our consumers are our residents, because if you take care of your residents, they take care of your buildings. If they take care of your buildings, they take care of the returns. So that's number one, take care of the residents. And we can only guarantee that if we are the boots on the ground in control of that relationship, or at least that's how we feel. And the second is our investors. Like we don't like to bring in external capital raisers. We want to be the ones who like are where the buck stops. You come to us, you have a conversation, you're in our deal that we manage, we operate. And so that's how we can guarantee, not guarantee because there is no such thing, but that's how we can sleep at night knowing that we're doing everything in our capacity to deliver results that are in alignment with the resident and investor expectations. That's the beauty of the vertical, uh, the vertically integrated uh, multifamily company, right? You got the whole stack and there's always going to be challenges in any business, but at least you've got a really short line of sight to any of those challenges. Maybe it's directly an employee or it's your investor that you have the relationship with. I, I like that approach a lot. We've, we've, we've ended up in the same boat with our company for those exact reasons. And, and uh, I like it. it. gives you a lot of control. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, honestly, there's not a right or wrong to it. It's a personality thing and understanding you're trading one set of problems for another. And when you're going to scale and be vertically integrated, you're trading the ability to scale quickly and efficiently with people problems and people problems are the hardest types of problems. And so you're really just trading headaches for different types of headaches. And if you have no interest in building systems and people and relationships and culture and all that stuff, well, then 
going vertical is going to be very, very difficult. And you should probably think about third party. So it's understanding and being self-aware about your strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The decision to start that property management company is not one to be taken lightly. I love it. You're just trading one set of problems for another. That's hundred percent the case. Um, tell us about the book. You mentioned the company and the book. How did that come about? Um, and how's that going for you guys since, since you published? Yeah. So the book is the passive investing made simple. It came out last month. And honestly, it was, uh, it just exceeded expectations. We hit number one on Amazon, which was really, it's always cool when that happens. Um, but re- like when we first started this book, it wasn't with the idea that we were going to be on the top of the bestseller list or anything. Really what we're trying to do was two things. One was we were always having the same conversations with people who yep. are new to, to multifamily investing. They're like, what's a cap rate? How does this value add model work? How do I vet an operator or understand a deal? Like all these things. And so instead of having the conversation each and every time, we decided, well, let's start a podcast. And that's where multifamily investing made simple came in so that we could point people and say, hey, just go listen to this episode where we talk about cap rates. And boom, now, now they, they learn it, they understand it. But we found that people still wanted to go deeper, that we still had some people that didn't want to listen to the podcast or they just wanted to have a different medium. And the book is a great way because it's a physical resource. You can flip through it and be like, oh, I want to brush up on this concept. Cool. Um, and so we, we wrote that book because something I didn't mention is that in a pre- prior life, I was a, um, a science fiction and fantasy author. So I just had a core competency in writing in general. That's how I communicate best is through the written word. And so we wanted to create something that could be targeted towards people that aren't interested in being active investors. So like this conversation about being vertically integrated or not, there's probably a large portion of the audience listening to this that is like, I have no interest in either of that. I just want to invest in real estate, but I don't care about operating or managing the property whatsoever. I don't want to deal with that. And that's who this book is for, is to say, what do you as a passive investor need to know? What are the skills, the competencies you need to bring to the table? Because passive does not mean there's no work. Like you still have to show up and do some things. This book is going to tell you what those things are and how to do them so that you can confidently move forward. I love it. Yeah. And then you can kind of set yourself apart too. It takes a lot of work and some money to, to publish a book versus yeah. some other platforms and mediums really are. So it's just so easy to publish online or put out, um, you know, other types of other types of content, nothing right or wrong about any of it, but the book is kind of a different, a different tier. How long did it take you guys to write it? Uh, so that took, we started that right when COVID hit. And so when COVID hit, the deal flow dried up in May, June, July, nobody was really transacting. And so we looked around and we said, well, what are we going to do to keep busy? We didn't, let's do something, let's be productive. And so we started writing a book. Um, I would say we finished the book in about April. So maybe nine months total to get it done. And then it just launched in August. And as anybody that's ever published a book will tell you, writing it seems like the easy part in hindsight. It's all the getting it across the finish line that, that really makes you want to pull your hair out at the end of the day. Yeah, but it's some herding cats there at the end. Yeah. I'd imagine. I'd imagine. Um, well, excellent. Well, congratulations on, on getting that out. Uh, I think that's a good use of time during uh, a weird year after March 2020. It was kind of a strange time and, mm-hmm. and um, good, good use of time and resources there. Looking ahead, so we're talking in mid-2021 uh, right now, having this conversation. Looking ahead, you know, I won't ask what you think is going to happen because nobody knows, but what is your strategy for the next 
18 months as you guys keep, keep building the business? That's a great question. You know, I always like to say everybody's crystal ball is equally murky. Like sure. nobody knows what's going to come. And so we just, we, we try to operate under the assumption that the world is always on the brink of ending because as Howard Mark says, if you take care of the downside, the upside takes care of itself. So we like to go around operating as though everything is going to go really badly in the future. Yep. Um, and so when we go into opportunities, specifically what we're looking for right now isn't super different than what we were looking for pre-COVID, but how we realized the business model is different. And so before COVID, we were looking at heavy value adds, things where we could go deploy capital, move tenants out, bring, uh, renovate, bring new tenants in, boom, great. But that becomes really hard in an eviction moratorium where you can't move out the bad tenants to get in there to do the renovations necessary. So now you're sitting on all this capital and it's frustrating. So we've made a slight pivot towards more stabilized assets, things where there is a delta in place between in-place rents and market rent. And we can realize that rent growth without having to go and deploy capital uh, immediately. And so we can go put some lipstick on the pig, put some new floors, some appliances, some new paint, some new fixtures, and all that stuff to make the units better. But for whatever reason, we want to find assets where there's good tenants there. They're just not paying as much for rent as the market would, would uh, say is as average. And so everybody hears that and they're like, well, yeah, Anthony, that duh, of course I want to buy something that doesn't require a lot of work, but there's a lot of meat on the bone. Like, duh, like, where do you go and find that? And that links back to the conversation we had before about finding these old people, not old people, but like people that have been in the game for a long time that have these assets that don't have a lot of debt on them anymore. They haven't been driving the rents aggressively because I don't know when you, when you only got like 20% LTV left over, you're like, you don't need to have market rent. You can afford to, to keep tenants in there for a long period of time. And so those are the assets that we're tracking down right now are things that the, the, the owners just haven't been pushing the rents very hard. They've just been letting it slide comfortably. And we can move into that, uh, that asset, deploy capital from the beginning to improve the units and then justify rent premiums from there if we want to. Or we can just do slow rent bumps because we're a big fan of the idea that a dollar saved is worth more than a dollar earned, right? Like a dollar saved is a full dollar. A dollar earned is usually on a margin. And so we're not going in there usually and trying to just move everybody out day one. We want to keep people in and reduce the trauma of turnover and churn because the expenses of having a down unit and having to go deploy the capital, it's immense. And so if we can keep somebody in there and only bump the rent marginally each year to get to our desired end state in three years, we'll take that every time. Yeah. Dollar saved is a dollar to the NOI with straight to it. Boom. It's pure value, right? Yeah, love it. What would you say to the person um, that's wanting to get started as that active operator that hasn't done their first deal? You've been there. I've been there. There's kind of all these things swirl around in your head. Maybe you're excited about real estate. What, what do you say to that person from your vantage point now, having built this company? Don't do it. It's horrible. Yeah. You'll hate it. No, no, it's great. It's fantastic. I, I would say first is get your mind right and understand that this is going to take a while. Real estate is the best get rich slowly, but surely plan out there. And a lot of people come in with the false expectation that you need to have your first deal in the first six months. And that's not true. Like it could take a year, it could take two years. And if it takes three years, that's okay too. Like it is going to take a while, especially in this market where it is better to do no deal than it is to do a bad deal. And so be patient from the very beginning and don't, 
look at social media and what everybody else is doing, and then use that as a barometer to say, I should be doing more, or I'm not succeeding because this person over here just closed 200 units and they started last month. Like that's a, that's a fool's game. You're going to only end up on the, on the wrong side of disillusionment. So first get your mind right, be patient, and then focus on the things within your control and the things within your control, the two most important things is investing in yourself and investing in your network. Those are the two biggest things because every skill that you can level up in your own arsenal, that's something that nobody can ever take away from you. So be brushing up and sharpening your blade on underwriting and accounting and operations, like whatever, learning your market, and then also be investing in your network. Because again, your ability to succeed in this industry is predicated on your relationships. So start making those relationships now, but don't front. Like if you're new, don't come to me being like, I'm the next big thing. Own where you are. Like, because guys like us, Devin, that are like a little bit further back, like further along in the journey, we look around and we're like, we want to help. We want to help the next generation, the next person to step in and do what we're doing. Yep. But we, we only can do that if you're being true and authentic from the beginning and representing where you're weak and where you're strong accurately. I love it. And just like you said about the brokers, you want to work with people you like, you, you know, there's, there might be people, uh, people that want to work with you or get mentored by you or whatever, but there's only so many hours in a day, you know, you want mm -hmm. to work with people you like. And, and I love what you said about the network. That is, that's the most important thing. So that's really good insight for somebody that is at the beginning of their journey. What about that person that's hearing all this going, you know, you alluded to him earlier. I don't want to touch any of that stuff, <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, a mid teens IRR on some real estate that I don't have to mess with sounds pretty darn good. Um, but they, it's so it's crazy. Cause we, you and I probably talk to investors and, and in our deals and stuff like that. And that's kind of our world. But the truth is like, most people are not in real estate passively. So the, you know, the amount of people we're talking to is 1% of America and there's 99% out there mm -hmm. that it has the wherewithal to invest passively in real estate, but, but is not. And that's where, you know, resources like your book come into play and help bridge that gap. What do you say to that person, you know, that's got capital to deploy, has zero interest in building a company like yours, but they're also kind of worried about the whole thing and they're new to it. What, what's your, what's your take for, for that type of person? It's, it goes, you're, you're nailing it on the head. Like, it's frustrating to know that only 0.001% of the population of people that could invest in these investment vehicles know about it or have the, like the, 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 the connections to take advantage of it. Right. And that's frustrating because we know, like you and I, we know how powerful this is. Like we see the returns, the tax benefits, the stability, like all of these things. And if you could just get the word out and everybody could know about it, they, you wouldn't have to sell anybody. They would all go, oh yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. I want to do that. And so the first thing for somebody that's listening to this and they're like, I don't want to be active, but I'm kind of interested in it is just to, to know first, this is possible for you where you are right now in your investing career. Not only is it possible, but it is something that you should be doing. I'm not giving like, investing advice here. I'm not a tax or legal uh, advisor. So take that into consideration. But when you do the math on the difference of, a, of returns and tax benefits in a real estate syndication versus, you know, owning stocks or a REIT or a bond, like it's night and day difference. 
And if you want to accelerate your financial future, or if you just want to have a more steady, solid financial future, it is built on land. It is built on real estate and it is built on these real assets. And so get over any of the preconceived notions that you might have about real estate being hard or scary, overwhelming. Realize that it is simple. It is going to require some work. You're going to have to put it in to understand the model. But once you put in that work, again, it's leveling up your own skills. Once you do that, you'll have it forever. Nobody will be able to take that away from you. And you'll be able to look at these opportunities and realize, okay, that's the one for me. That's the one for me. That one, that's a hard pass. I'm not going to do that one, but that one, I want that one. And at the end of the day, guys, like I was in the boat for many, many, many years in my life. I have six brothers and sisters and a family that is not financially sophisticated or savvy. Their, their strategy has been put their head in the sand and just do what everybody else is doing and hope it works out. Right. And that is not a hope is not a good investment strategy. Very common so strategy. It's very it is the number one strategy, but it's a very poor one if you want to live an uncommon life, right? If you want to have uncommon results, you cannot do what everybody else is doing. And what everybody else is doing is born out of ignorance and fear. And so don't be ignorant, go educate yourself and don't be afraid. Find people who you can trust to talk to, to learn from podcasts like this. Devin, you're a great resource. Like reach out, have conversations because what, what do they say? The confused mind says no and fear breeds uncertainty. Like, so let's get over that. Let's, let's, let's address this and educate ourselves. I love it. There's a lot of good resources out there. You've got the new book out. You're helping to educate people. We've got a lot of work to do spreading the word. Yeah, but, so uh, many people still. We've got, uh, we've got good tools to get there. Listen, if somebody wants to reach out and connect with you and your, your team, Anthony, and learn more about what you guys are doing, what is the best avenue for that? Yeah, you can find me literally on all the social medias. I'm there too much. So you can find me, Anthony Vecino. Otherwise, go over to InvictusMultifamily.com. We have a free resource that we're, we're hawking to the world right now. And it's actually kind of cool. It's the, the five rules of investing. And what we did is just, we looked at all the people that have done what we want to do. So billionaire real estate investors and said, what worked for them? What are they doing? What do they say we should be doing? And we distilled those down to five rules that everybody can implement into their investing right now. So if you want to go get that resource, go to InvictusMultifamily.com and pick it up. I love it. I love it. And thanks for creating another resource there. We'll link to that in the show notes. Those of you that are listening, you just go to the show description, click straight through to Anthony's company's website. Uh, Anthony, thanks so much for jumping on the show today. Tons of hard-won insight. I really appreciate you sharing and I wish you continued success. Thank you, Devin, man. I really appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep it up, man. Awesome. We'll talk soon. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. I hope you found that educational, entertaining, inspiring, all of the above. If you are interested in seeing future DJE investment projects and you are not already on our list and in our portal, uh, you can go to the website, djetexas.com. There's a little button there to schedule a 15-minute call with our team, answer any questions you have, and make sure you get on that list to see that next project that comes out. Also, if you're interested in being uh, an investor that runs these deals, we've got a free seven-module course for you at apartmenteducators.com. Uh, a lot of great free content there to ramp up your education in the multifamily investing space. Once again, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate a five-star review that helps the reach of the show. That's one way you can give back if you enjoyed it. And we'll see you on the next one. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.